With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 279 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today we head to Milton Keynes for a story of a night out to celebrate a birthday which should have been a really fun time, but instead it led to many lives being ruined. Just a reminder that as usual, all my sources for all my episodes can be found in the show notes. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, especially the new members of our community, and it really is a community. That is Georgie Lake, Lisa Horsley, Vimla Lay, Amanda Wallace, Jennifer Jolly, Ian McCarran, and also to Wendy Hay, who has increased her level of support. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us will drop anything to go to help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? It sounds familiar, right? I've started to make sure that I give myself a lunch break every day now to get out and about with my dogs and to get some exercise. So this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure that you show up for yourself. Everyone I know who's had therapy has spoken of the benefits, a real chance to clarify your feelings and understand yourself better and how you're feeling. I found it really helped me to understand my own emotions much better, which means I'm able to gain a much better insight into why I sometimes act in certain ways. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and UK true crime listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash true crime. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash true crime. Okay, so let's set some context of our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK charts this week was Eminem with Stan, keeping Bob the Builder from the top spot. In the US, it was Independent Women from Destiny's Child. And top of the Australian album charts was that beautiful ballad, Who Let the Dogs Out, from Baja Men. In the news this month, American Vice President Al Gore delivered his concession speech, effectively ending his hopes of becoming the 43rd President of the United States. The Rizzle Day bombings took place. It was a series of bombs which exploded in various places, in Metro Manila, the Philippines, within a span of a few hours, killing 22 people and injuring over 100. And this was the month that Madonna married Guy Ritchie. So, did you get the month and year? It was December 2000. 
Today's story comes from the land of the roundabout, Milton Keynes. Sorry, Samantha. Of course, there's other things in its favour except lots and lots of roundabouts, such as... Um... Anyway, it's about 55 miles northwest of London. Let's get on with today's story. 48-year-old Keith Hyatt had been out with friends in Tring, Hertfordshire, and was fast asleep when he was woken by a call from his friend, Barry White, no, not that one, who was asking if he could pick him up from a nightclub. Barry explained how he'd been out with his girlfriend, Rachel Manning, to a 1970s-themed fancy dress party in a bar above Milton Keynes bus station to celebrate his mum's birthday. But the night hadn't gone to plan, and Barry got into a bit of a ruck with a couple of other men outside the venue. Rachel intervened to stop the altercation, and she and Barry had some words. It was nothing unusual, after a few drinks, I'd suggest, for a young couple. But Barry had work in the morning, so he told Rachel he was going to head to his friend Keith's, who had given him a lift home, and he told her to go back inside and get a taxi. Keith headed over to the centre of Milton Keynes and picked up Barry. Soon afterwards, at 2.43am, Rachel called Barry from the phone box saying that she was lost. They agreed to meet her at a blockbuster video store from where they could take her home. They got there at 3.13am, but there was no sign of Rachel. The streets were pretty empty at this time, but despite waiting for a bit, Rachel didn't appear. Increasingly concerned, Keith drove Barry around looking for her until after 5am when they decided to call it a night. Rachel had friends in the local area, so Barry just assumed she must have gone back to stay with one of them. Barry kept trying her number the next day, but still there was no reply. He then popped into the shop where she worked, and when he was told that she hadn't arrived for work that day, which was totally out of character, he called the police and reported his girlfriend as missing. Over the next couple of days, there was no news. Keith stayed in touch with Barry over the next few days, but still there was nothing to suggest what had happened to Rachel. On the 12th of December, Keith left the work as normal. He was a delivery driver. And that day, he drove not too far from Milton Keynes to a Woburn golf course, where the road was shut and there were many police cars there. With a feeling of dread in his stomach, Keith stopped and asked the police to see if the activity was due to potentially Rachel being found. Keith didn't get a reply to his question, but he was asked to head immediately to the police station to provide a statement. On arriving, he learnt the terrible news that Rachel had indeed been found. He would later learn that Rachel had been strangled and her face was severely disfigured after being savagely attacked with a steering lock which was found close to her body. Rachel Manning was just 19 when she was murdered. Barry found out the news about Rachel about the same time. He later said, Rachel's aunt phoned my mum and said that her body had been found and they think it's Rachel. That's when I found out. I was devastated. But within two hours of hearing the news, Barry had been arrested on suspicion of murder. Detectives found there had been a number of phone calls between the phone box where Rachel was and Keith's house, rather than just the one that Barry had told them when talking about the events of that night. 
Detectives believed that Rachel hadn't even made a call from the phone box, but it had been Barry phoning Keith to tell him that he killed Rachel in an argument and to ask for his help in dumping the body and removing any evidence in his van. CCTV footage had captured Barry and Keith driving around in the van in the early hours, presumably looking for somewhere to dispose of the body. Keith Hyatt was quizzed on suspicion of helping conceal a crime and his van was seized. And when forensics experts examined the van, they found a number of items which linked Rachel to the van. For example, particles found on the seat matched those found on Rachel's skirt. This suggested she had indeed sat in the passenger seat that evening. Keith was eventually released without charge, but when he got home he was in for a shock. Detectives had gone over his house in detail, leaving a terrible mess, and his personal diaries had been taken. Keith was called back for questioning on numerous occasions over the coming weeks, and was eventually questioned about a statement made by an ex-partner of his. This led to Keith too being charged with murder. The trial took place in 2002. Emotions were running high as the jury heard how Barry and Rachel had been arguing all night and this ended with Barry strangling his girlfriend. And as we've heard, this was backed by forensic evidence. Barry and Keith strongly protested their innocence and there were family friends and supporters who expressed complete disbelief that the two were guilty but outside this small group, public opinion was firmly that the two men were guilty and should go to prison for a long time and the keys should be thrown away. The jury quickly found Barry guilty of murder and Keith of the lesser charge of helping his friend cover up the murder. Both men continued to protest their innocence and during his two and a half years in prison, Keith wrote over 3,000 letters from his cell and when he was released on parole, he wrote thousands more. One of those letters was to British TV programme Rough Justice. Remember that? It was a great programme. It uncovered so many miscarriages of justice with breathtaking research and incredible journalism from their team. Let me quote you the reaction from the team at Rough Justice when they looked into this case. If Barry and Keith had murdered Rachel and disposed of her body eight miles away, They'd carried the body over fences, up a muddy embankment, carried out a attack after she died to disfigure the face and got back into the van without taking any mud, blood or debris from the scene with them, all within a window of 13 minutes. It appeared outlandish and yet the jury had convicted and pretty much everyone in Milton Keynes, apart from the two men's family and friends, thought they were guilty. That was our starting position at the BBC. But it was now about getting the evidence to show the men were not guilty. The prosecution had used evidence from a highly respected expert, Professor Ken Pye, who'd also worked on the high-profile Soham killings. One piece of evidence he found was that flint from a lighter was found in Keith's van and on Rachel's skirt, showing that Rachel had been there. But the rough justice expert showed that the particles could have got on smoker Rachel's clothes at any time in the 16 hours before her death. And moreover, this could have come from any disposable lighter, 
so this didn't back up the claim at all. As technological advances in DNA continued, the team were able to examine the DNA of a hair found on the steering lock, which had been used to kill Rachel, and they found it didn't belong to either Keith or Barry. Tracy, from the team at Rough Justice, said, If there had been the sophisticated DNA analysis technology available at the time the offence happened, then the results from the steering lock would have taken them in a different direction. But the technique then was low copy number, a way of amplifying a tiny sample of DNA in the lab, which was later found to have fundamental flaws. The prosecution expert for the fibre and articulate trace evidence was wrong. We're talking about tiny contact traces and fibres which are very easily moved around. Professor Pye looked at the fibres in the van and said, that's exactly like those on Rachel's clothing, so she must have sat in this seat. But car seats get grubby, and unless you make a thorough study of what particulates are found in any car or van driving up the street, you can't say those particulates are unique to one van. Also, if Rachel was already dead, they'd have put her in the back of the van, not propped her up in the passenger seat. The lack of blood and mud, which would have covered a man who'd bludgeoned a victim and then taken her to a muddy undergrowth, was also overlooked. It's fair to say that a good forensic scientist knows that the absence of evidence is evidence, but that message is not always adhered to. In 2007, two and a half years after the rough justice programme on the case came to air, the Court of Appeal quashed both men's convictions. Barry faced a retrial a year later and was cleared. I never in a million years thought I'd get done for it, because we never committed the crime, said Barry. Going to jail was difficult to deal with. They say everyone's innocent in jail, and when you're trying to prove that you are actually innocent, no one listens to you. It kept coming up on the news. Barry White charged with killing teenage girlfriend. And when people hear that in jail, they want to fight you. There were times when I sat in my cell and thought, did I do this? Did I actually do this? And it's that bad that I've blocked it out of my memory. But then you think, no, I didn't do it. I know I didn't do it. I know for a fact I didn't do it. Or you'd hear footsteps walking down the landing and you think, they're coming to my cell and saying, we made a mistake, Barry, you're free to go. Then they walk straight past your cell. That was quite hard to deal with. Barry said he still thought of the life he could have led with Rachel. He said, I was going to ask her to marry me on Christmas Day. I'd bought the ring. You never know, if she'd been here today, we might still be married and have two lovely kids. I deserve a life back. It was six years of my life, my whole twenties pretty much. They're supposed to be the best years of your life, but I was rotting in jail. He was asked about facing Rachel's parents, Paul and Liz, when he was in court and he said, it wasn't nice them looking at me like I actually was the murderer of their daughter. I wanted to say that it wasn't me. I loved their daughter too much. I think the police were just looking at me, he says. It feels like they didn't do an investigation. Instead of building the evidence and putting me in the middle, they put me in the middle and then built the evidence around me. That's how it felt.
So whilst Keith and Barry tried to put their lives back together after their release, Rachel's family and friends now had the devastating news that the men they thought responsible were in fact innocent men. So if they weren't responsible for Rachel's death, then who was? It was 2010 when father of five and waiter Shadel Ahmed was arrested. He'd sexually assaulted a female student in Luton. The woman had thought he was a taxi driver and it could have been a lot worse for her had a passerby not come to her rescue. A quick-thinking lorry driver noted his number plate and so Scheidel was traced and arrested. As is now standard, his DNA was taken. And six months later, this proved a match to the hair found on the wheel lock that was used to kill Rachel Manning and also on her clothes. Ahmed was re-arrested and interviewed by police in September and December 2011. He declined to answer any questions, but when asked he provided written statements which said he could not explain the presence of his DNA on the steering lock. He told detectives he did not recognise the lock, but he regularly bought and sold cars at auctions, so he may have owned it in the past. Detectives found that Ahmed had in fact sold his car eight days after Rachel was murdered. They thought they had enough to charge him. Ahmed denied murder, and he first stood trial when a jury failed to return a verdict. At the retrial at Luton Crown Court, the jury heard that his DNA was found on the steering lock and that it was totally improbable that a hair found on her clothing was not his. Ahmed, who was wearing a grey shirt and surrounded by security guards, five of them, chose not to give evidence during the trial. His English wasn't great, so he sat with an interpreter in the dock. The court heard from the defence how they believed that Rachel had rejected his sexual advances on her way home from the fancy dress party in December 2000. Ahmed then bludgeoned her face with a car steering lock in an attempt to make her unrecognisable before hiding her body in undergrowth on the golf course. There was a hush around the court when the jury returned from their deliberations, but this time the jury of seven men and five women returned a unanimous verdict of guilty. Cheers rang out around the public gallery and Ahmed bowed his head. Sentencing Ahmed to life in prison and stipulating a minimum of 17 years, the judge said that Rachel had much to look forward to and was relishing the challenges of life. Rachel was a charming, witty, gregarious, happy person You snuffed all that out, driven by the same demon that led you in 2010 to carry out a sex assault. You've accosted Rachel when she was at her most vulnerable. He also said how Barry and Keith had suffered the agony of being convicted and imprisoned for offences of which they were wholly innocent. Nothing can bring back either Rachel's life or those lost years. Barry White had to suffer hearing the details of Rachel's death for a fourth trial and later told how he was still made to feel guilty by the accusations made against him by the defence. There were audible gasps from the public gallery as he was told that Rachel might still be alive had he got a taxi with her 
Barry, understandably emotional, stormed out of the court after giving evidence. His eyes were wet with tears. I'm still fighting, he said. I've had enough of fighting. Reacting to the verdict, Keith Hyatt said, We can now say we are innocent of this. We never did this. And the right guy has now gone to jail. Barry White added, I feel over the moon that justice has finally been done. I'm really happy that Rachel's family have finally got the justice and closure they deserve. And Barry spoke honestly about how he still struggles to recover from his time in jail. He said, I've not been able to hold down a relationship. I've not been able to hold down jobs. I've suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and depression, he said. It's ruined my life. Rachel's family also released a statement and it made clear that despite Ahmed being found guilty of Rachel's murder, they still felt that Barry White was at least in some way to blame. They said, We believe Rachel would still be with us today if she'd not been abandoned by her boyfriend the night she was attacked, killed and brutally battered. We cannot forget that. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's a shocking case, isn't it, of a 19-year-old woman murdered by a total stranger walking home from a party. Yeah, unfortunately, another story like this. If you are a supporter of the death penalty, I wonder what you make of today's story. Does it make you reconsider? I think it's hard to appreciate just how it must have been for Keith and Barry in prison for a crime they didn't commit. Especially for Barry, who was already devastated by the murder of his girlfriend. And like me, were you a little bit shocked by the statement from Rachel's family? Again, we can't come close to understanding what they've been through and how it must feel to think that the murderers of your loved ones have been brought to justice and then find out they are in fact innocent. Some have said they're only saying what many of us would feel in the same situation. And they believe that Barry shouldn't have left her and he did have to shoulder some of the blame. If he'd given her a lift, it wouldn't have happened. But nor would it if they hadn't gone out that night in the first place. Or if she'd had emergency taxi money or had chosen a different route or any number of other reasons. The person to blame in this story is not Barry, it's Ahmed. Ahmed is the one who took the decision and the life, the hopes and dreams of an innocent person just because they didn't respond to his pathetic sexual pestering. Another life with so much promise ended pointlessly and early. Our thoughts go out to all Rachel's family and friends. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story and all aspects of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group. It's many things. It's certainly never dull. There's 80,000 of us and we talk UK true crime 24-7. And to support the show and to keep me producing a weekly podcast, why not come and join our community at Patreon? Please just head to patreon.com slash UK true crime you can find bonus episodes, the chance to watch live recordings and everything else you've always dreamed of 
and never had. It's all there at Patreon. And if you get an annual subscription, I'll also send you a signed copy of my book about serial killer Angus Sinclair. So I'm afraid that's all from me for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And most of all, despite all the others, trust me, I know about all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.